Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. I'm Jennifer Prokop, and I have a special guest with me this week. Hi, everybody. It's Kate Claymore here. The reason Kate is here and Sarah is not is because Sarah has been sick with the flu for like days, like six days. And she's been in her bed. So at first I, I told Sarah, I was like, you know, we can just take a week off of the podcast. Like faded mates will survive. But Sarah was like, well, you should just record something by yourself. And I thought, well, that sounds like it'd be really boring for a lot of people. And then <laughs> Sarah said, Kate could come on and you guys could do an episode together. And I said, yes. Yes. And we, we really had the perfect idea in honor of Sarah's absence. And this is, Kate, one of your favorite things. It's one of my favorite things. So I'm going to say what it is, and then we're going to talk about why you love it, which is in a romance when there is a sickbed scene. I love it. I want to clarify that these are pretty different than like someone with a chronic illness. This is really something has happened, and someone's sick in their bed. Yes, like it's often an acute sickness. Yes. And this hugely works for me in romance. <laughs> I love scenes like this. Um, they are they are scenes that blooded me as a romance reader to stick to the theme of your season. Now, Kate, why do you love these so much? I like them for a couple of reasons. One reason is because, as we all know, uh, when I am reading a romance, I enjoy it when there is a hero suffering. <laughs> so a good way to see a hero suffer is when his sort of beloved person is ill. Mm. So I enjoy it for that. And then I also, um, I think one reason I enjoy it and I, I should clarify here. I do often enjoy it most when it is the, in a, in a male female romance, when it's the hero taking care of the heroine, Mm -hmm. I think because I'm really fascinated by like domestic work in romance and these are like one of the rare times where men are doing that work. And I, I like to see that. These are often scenes that are tied up with the the naming that we are in love. Yes. So, for example, I was really thinking at first about, unfortunately, I was like, oh, my God, all my favorite sickbed scenes are ones we have already talked about. So immediately one of the scenes I thought about was Indigo by Beverly Jenkins. But because he but he's it's very different because he is sick at the beginning. She is literally like bringing him to life. Ah. And so it works in a really different way than what is, I think of as sort of like a classic sickbed scene, which is where it happens again at the end, right? It's the recognition that you might literally lose this person is then really tied up in your own understanding that I got to get right with this person and with God. Yeah. Or the, or the, the person has been clueless all this time about their feelings for a person. And then all of a sudden they're like punched in the face by the fact that their beloved has a cold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, and of course it like never works out this way in real life. In real life, you're just like, okay, I'll just stop and get some NyQuil. Well, wait, is your, is your husband good to you when you're sick? Um, I am going to jinx myself. I feel like I don't really get sick all that often. I'm like knocking on wood right now for you. Well, I feel like this is the other thing, right? I'm like, I can't believe I said that. I think the other reason (laughs) this is an especially timely topic is all of our fears about coronavirus. 
Right. So I think it really um, is not just about like these scenes in romance, but like these scenes for all of us, like just thinking about what might happen um, to any of us right now feels really precarious. And yeah. so, you know, it's, but yeah, my husband is great to me when I'm sick, but I'm also very rarely sick. And he and I, I think are both the kind of people where we're just like, just leave me alone. I'm just going to sleep this off. Oh, isn't that good? It is really good. I just, I act like a massive baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I expect everyone to treat me like one. Well, there you go. (laughs) I I feel that. Sarah, we hope you're, we hope you're out there being treated like a baby. That's what we hope. (laughs) I'm the baby as Andy Christopher says. Yes. Okay. So, um, I would also like to point out because these are like acute, something has happened. The other thing that these scenes are not really about, they're always about like physical health and wellness as opposed to mental health and wellness. Hmm. I mean, I just want to like throw that out there. It just seems really different. Like something has happened to you physically and it's a fear about your actual mortality. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there, I think there's probably a whole other interstitial to be done on like acute sort of mental crises in romance, right? Which is interesting in and of itself. I feel like those often manifest themselves as grief. Yeah. Or uh, one of our other favorites, which is like sleep deprivation, insomnia. Right. The nightmares. Nightmares. Yeah. So they come up in romance, but I think uh, one of the things that's been like a journey in my life is realizing that when we talk about, when we talk about health and wellness, it's not Mm -hmm. just about your body, but about your mind too. So yeah. And romance has, I think done really interesting things in recent years with like representation of mental health issues, chronic and acute, right? Which I think is really, um, anyway, add it to your list for a future interstitial. We are constantly making lists as you know. We're, this is probably going to be a pretty tight episode, everybody, because, you know. We've got work to do. <laughs> uh, I'm a real loser right now, everybody. Procrastination yeah. is real. Um, so, Kate, why don't you start by telling us one of the books that you think uh, has an amazing sickbed scene? Okay, so one of my favorite sickbed scenes, and I think this is a, a book that blooded me for sure. I mean, it's definitely within, like, the first ten romances I read. And so it might be like one of the reasons why I like sickbed scenes. And that is Jenny Cruzy's uh, The Cinderella Deal. And do you know, have you read this one? I have read all of Jenny Cruzy. No, for sure. <laughs> so this one has a lot of, I think, really popular tropes. So like one is that it's a fake, sort of fake engagement, fake relationship. Um, mm-hmm. It's also very much grumpy sunshine, right? So Daisy is the heroine and she's an artist and she has this really like lovely outlook on life. (laughs) And she's with Link who is very serious and academic. Um, And so uh, I guess it's pretty late in the book. It's about three quarters of the way through the book, I think. But um, I think it's that Link's mother comes to visit and she gets the flu. Um, and so the, it happens in sort of three stages. They are both taking care of them, of his mother, Mm -hmm. which draws them together in really interesting ways. And then both of them subsequently get this flu as well. So I think he gets it first and and gets over it pretty quickly, but then she gets it and his reaction to it is just (laughs) sort of like dead panic. Like, I mean, he's like, she's the hospitalized. Um, I love it when they panic and I know it's wrong, but I really love it. Love it. That's what I, I mean, it's like, 
I want this person to be in a full on crisis about a relatively minor (laughs) medical complaint because he is so confused by his feelings. That's what I want to see. Um, so he, uh, you know, is sort of like walking around the house, just like sweating, worrying about her constantly, um, and, and doing everything to make her feel better. And then I remember this so clearly, like, even though I haven't read this book in probably, I haven't reread it in probably a couple of years, but I remember so clearly that like when she starts to get better, there's a scene where he's like walking down the hall and he's so happy that he kind of like slaps the door jam of one of the doors because he's so relieved Mm. and that completely stuck with me. Um, (laughs) So this book, I think like this book turned me on to sick bed scenes as like a revelation for the depth of the hero's feelings. Oh God, I love it. That's great. Well, you know what is amazing? I will say, and I'm sad to report this, but since Sarah's not here, she can't actually stop me right now from talking. I know where this is going and I'm excited. Raise it in the beast. Yes. So again, I guess I should say too, like, I feel like some of these are spoilery, right? Like, I mean, part of the reason I was sort of like, oh, maybe I should talk about Indigo is it's, it's the opening of the book. So you can sort of talk about it without spoiling it, but the good ones where you're really like someone's really feeling it is are almost always at the end. But at the end of Brazen and the Beast, there essentially is a an explosion at the docks or something, right? I don't know. Like, I know that's terrible that I don't really know. <laughs> Hand-waving plot. <laughs> Romance plot. Well, it's always I'm always one who's like, I want plot, but then it's like to get to something good. <laughs> And so what happens is she, it's Hattie, then is is like knocked out cold by this. And part of the reason, one of the things I really want to talk about too, is I think these scenes have an especial, especially, are especially powerful in historicals because there's not the sense that doctors knew what the fuck they were doing. Right, right. And so I think one of the things that you really get in a, like in a contemporary when someone's sick, uh, especially if it's like a flu or a cold or, you know, like in a romantic suspense, I think we get this a lot because of it's like, you know, I've been shot or injured or whatever. Um, you know, there's doctors, there's like modern medical care, there's antibiotics for God's sakes. Right. So I think one of the things about about this, I think about this all the time, is in a historical, this sense of someone is like laying there. I mean, Hattie is essentially just laying there and he can see that her chest is rising and falling, but there's no sense that they really know the extent of the injury, what caused the injury, (laughs) you know, and that's the part I think that really then makes for my favorite sickbed moment, which is the vigil. Yes. Oh my God. That motherfucker has to sit there and just stare at her knowing This is like a version of your cold storage fetish. Yes, it really is, right? The vigil. Because then it's like, oh my God, have I fucked this up? And here she is and there's nothing I can do about it. And so I think that that's one of the other reasons this is such a powerful scene for me is because then we really get him. I mean, he's like, should I pray? 
I don't even really have a relationship with this God person. If I tell her I love her, is that going to be enough? You know, I mean, and there's like this whole entire scene where he is pouring out his entire heart for her. Oh my God. He's like calling. He's basically praying to her. Yeah. He is like kneeling at her bedside and praying to her. And yeah. And you know what? I love that shit too. When basically the love interest becomes the person's religion. That is so wrong. Like, I'm just saying it out loud to everybody on this podcast. I know it's wrong. Oh, God, I know. There it is. <laughs> He's just like, please don't go. Stay. And I think that that's the part about these scenes that's, like, so amazing is you really understand just yes. how, like, how powerful their feelings are and yet how terrified, how terrifying those feelings are. So, yeah, that whole scene was just, mm, like, so good. I read it with my, with my heart in my throat. I, oh, I loved it. Now I'm going to reread it tonight. I think part of it, though, too, is, I mean, this is... And we talk about this a lot, you and me and Sarah, in our group texts, right? The promise of the romance is that even at this moment of death-defying, literal moment, we know that it's going to turn out okay. And there's none of that when you, in real life, you don't necessarily know that it's going to turn out okay. Right. And I think that that's why these scenes are wrenching, but in a way that, like, feels really safe. Like, I say this to, you know, students all the time. Like, you can safely experience these horrifying emotions when you're reading that in real life, like, just thinking about being in this situation, like, makes me, me want to hyperventilate. Yeah. I like the vigil. You know what? I was just thinking that when you were saying that, like... I'm such trash for these kinds of scenes that even in books that don't, that aren't like in my top, top comfort reads, I'll be, I'll remember their sickbed scenes. I'll be like, that's a good one. Like I was just thinking of, um, in tribute to this podcast, what's the, what's the, um, game makers book, the second one that I don't like. (laughs) The master. Oh yeah. Yeah, There's like, there's like a bunch of shit in there. I don't like, except at the end when he has to sit by her bedside because she's been stabbed or shot or whatever. Talk about being trash for that scene when he witnesses her being stabbed and then has to like rush her to the hospital and is like, ugh. one of the things that's really interesting that romance often does is it makes And this is very, I think, specifically in male-female romance, is it makes the hero a witness to some sort of physical pain in a way, like, in this case, we were talking about rape. That's not what we're talking about here, right? Like, they actually, like, sort of physically witness it. And I think part of it is, like, when you, it's like, you have to be there. I mean, in this scene in The Master, right, where he, she's stabbed and he sees it happening and is powerless to help it and then has the sickbed scene. Mm. Yeah. It's just like layer upon layer it's of good stuff. torture for him. And Yeah, I can skip everything about the, whatever, the chastity bell that I don't like, the whole, I can skip all of it and just go right to the. Amazing. Oh, that's terrible. It's fine. That's who we are. So tell me about, you have one more and then I have one more. I have one more, which I'm really excited about. Um, it's a book that came out recently. Um, it is uh, Ruby Lang's House Rules, which is the third in this trilogy that she wrote. 
um, that I absolutely love. I I recommend every single one in this trilogy, but the third one is House Rules. And the setup is really interesting. It's about um, this couple that has been divorced for like quite a few years. Um, and they both live in New York city. And if you know anything about New York city and the real estate market, <laughs> you know, that people end up in all kinds of weird situations. Um, and, and this is one, they decide to live in this sort of like great apartment together, this great two bedroom apartment, um, that is just such a sweet deal that they can't turn it down, even though it means that they have to live together. Mm. You know, there's all like the weird tension attendant upon that at the beginning, um, but one of the things I really love about the sickbed scene in this book is that the heroine, uh, Lana, ha- suffers from endometriosis. Oh. So there's a scene where she's at work and she's really ill. And I-, I really like how, I mean, everything Ruby writes is great, but I really like how the scene also kind of addresses the fact that the kinds of illnesses that women often experience are just totally mm-hmm. um, ignored or trivialized by their workplaces. Yeah, and so she's really she's really ill, and kind of her her boss is sort of ignoring her, brushing her off, or whatever, or thinking she must have some kind of flu or something like that. Ultimately, she sort of succumbs to this and calls uh, her ex Simon to to come get her, and. I mean, he, he comes there in a panic. That's what I like to see. Yes. Um, and there's just so much, Ruby is really talented. And so there's just so much tenderness to the way she writes the various stages of this. So, you know, when he comes, he knows her so well that he knows exactly how she like puts on her scarf um, before she goes out in the cold. And so he helps like bundle her up and get her into a cab. And then when he gets home with her, like, you know, she's going through something that I think many women are taught to feel a lot of shame about, right? Yeah. So she, she goes in the house and she's in the bathroom for a long time. Um, and she, you know, she comes out and she's had to basically take all her clothes off and, you know, she's wrapped in a towel and he just, you know, he's just patient through it. He just is sort of a warm body for comfort for her. And then when she wakes up the next morning, he has brought her a selection of painkillers, <laughs> including my doll. Oh, that's so pure. I mean, my yes, God. It's so, it's so, it's so beautifully written and, oh man, I loved it. I swooned. I, I swooned. Yeah. I've got to tell you anytime a man, I, I wish more, I wish it, I feel like in every book with a like a cisgender woman with a working uterus should have her period at least once. Yeah. I mean, you know me, write more about periods, ladies. Yeah. And I really think that that like any scene where a man is like caring, caring for her in that way is it like really moves me because, um, the times I have like broken down my, like my husband will never listen to this. So I can tell this story, which is, um, now that I'm kind of in the premenopause stage, whatever that's called, mm-hmm. perimenopause, some like weird shit happens sometimes. And it was, God, was it last year? Maybe it was like the first day of school. And I like, I bled through my clothes. Oh, Jen. it was awful. And then our son had like volleyball tryouts and I was like upset about that. And I got home really late and I was like, really, I'm not usually like, 
I'm usually pretty even keeled person. I think like I, like it's really a lot for me to get like really wound up. And, um, my, my husband was like, what is wrong with you? And I, and I'm not exaggerating. I burst into tears and I was like, I bled through my clothes today. And he just like hugged me for a really long time. Yeah. And I, I just needed that. I know this is like the goofiest story, but it really meant something to me that at that moment, me at like just saying that and he's, he was like, oh yeah, that's fucking awful. And he just, he just was like, oh Jen. And I was, it really was. So yeah, I I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like one click. I think, I think heroic, like heroic love interest behavior is like when you are confronted with a period, you don't act weird about it. Yeah. You're just like. Oh, you have a period? Like, do you need a tampon? Like, what's the <laughs> right? What's the next step here? Yeah, yeah, that's it was great. So, yeah, that sounds amazing. You know, I read Ruby's first series with the doctors. Yes, and so I feel like it doesn't surprise me that she, I think, is a you know, writers have I think their like niches of things they're just like really um, so aces at sort of um, I don't know like conveying. And I always felt like in that whole first series, the way she conveys like sort of people's um, like both fears and concerns about like their bodies and the people who take care of them, that like was really like, she just has like a, that's like a real gift of hers. Yes. And I know that's like a real micro thing to notice, but I definitely noticed that in that first series. So. Yeah. And she, she does this, she does that sick bed scene, I think in exactly the way these scenes should be done and the way they work best, which is that they reveal so much about the characters involved in them. Yeah. Um, and, and she does it like, it's just pitch perfect in that particular scene in this book. So highly recommend that one. You know, I love characters. And that's like really like my primary thing I'm reading for. So yeah, that totally would work for me too. Yeah. Okay. So this last one we're going to talk about, you have also read It's Devil in Winter by Lisa Claypas. A fave. A fave. And this is also, now this, in this scene, it's Sebastian who is at death's door and it's, yes. and one of the things, and what happens is the, you know, the surgeon rolls up and wants to blood him and he does he, do, he is lucid enough at this point. He is descending into fever to know that this will kill him. And he is yes. pleading with Evie, like, don't let them do this to me. And one of the things, one of the, again, back to like it being about character, here is a woman throughout her, this entire book has really struggled with like finding her voice. Like literally she stutters. She has a hard time, like even like getting words out. And so this is a moment of real crisis in their marriage, but also a real personal crisis for her to essentially overrule a doctor to, you know, like yes. sort of insist that her, and at one point I think what she says is like, it's, he's allowed to decide and, and it's clear that she's not deciding for him. She's just there to be a voice for him. And it, this whole scene is oh, it's so good. It is so good. At this point, I, I think she knows she loves him, right? I don't think yeah. that that's like a mysterious. This is it's not tied up in sort of that, but I do think it's tied up in their moving forward together as a unit rather than like as individuals. Yes. And you know, 
this book kind of does something interesting with sickbed scene because they're sort of impetus for getting together is that her father is quite ill. Mm-hmm. It, it's like one of the reasons that they get together. She really wants to see her father as he's dying. And she, listen, for plot reasons, she has to be married in order to do this. Um, and so one of their early like bonding experiences is basically at the sickbed of her father. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And if it, if you remember, like there's a scene where Sebastian shaves her father. Yes. Um, and it's so like, it's so tender. Oh my God. It's so, and you just, I mean, it's one of the ways I think the reader sort of falls in love with Sebastian. Um, and then it's really interesting that kind of the sick bed stuff replays later in the, in the text with Sebastian himself. I think that's exactly right. And I think the other thing about it too, is I'm always really fascinated in historicals about, um, and I like I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing I was thinking about this, right? Like the question of whether or not like who do you trust? Right. Do you trust your partner or do you trust this like medical professional? I'm the doctor. You wait on the waiting list. Patients been here since this morning. I dismiss. And I think that, you know, is this, is it fake news is essentially. And I think that this is like a moment where, um, you know, I, I can't imagine how hard it would be, right. To like sort of overrule a doctor, especially Evie, who spent so much of her life really being told that she's just like a dummy. Yes. Yeah. And and I and I think that that's why the scene is so powerful in so many ways is it's like standing up for him and standing up for them but also like this she's really finding herself and it's it's just a great it's a great sick bed scene. Mm. Yeah, I love it. And I actually really love the aftermath of that scene which I think is really um I think Clay Pass is doing something really funny there, but like when he starts to get better, he's such a big fucking baby. (laughs) Oh yeah. He, he's like really lonely, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to keep asking her to be like, he's embarrassed to say. So he keeps like asking her for these really petty things. Like he'll be like, there's a, there's this line. He says, there's a speck in my water. (laughs) her to come in there, but he won't just admit it. And I, I think it's so funny. It makes me laugh every time. I totally think that Lisa is thinking about the man flu or the man, oh, yeah. man cold. Um, I mean, granted he has been shot, but still, but still, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing though. Like the whole, the moment of sickness is about, about mortality. Yeah. Recovery though is about like our life together. And so the whole sick bed scene is just like a microcosm of like their life together. And I love it. Yes. Sick beds are doing work. Yes, they are. Yeah. Except of course, if you're really sick and you're just like bored, silly and looking, you know, God, I mean, that's the other thing in real life, you know, real life. You're like, Oh, I mean, poor Sarah, right. Has been in bed like literally for a week. Yeah. And meanwhile, you're like, whatever. Sebastian recovered from this gunshot in like 10 pages. I mean, right. You know what the worst is? You know what the worst is (laughs) when you're sick in like the kind of way that makes it impossible for you to read. Ugh. I mean, that is that is the romance reader's nightmare. It is brutal. It really is. It's-
it's I guess that's like at least now we have audiobooks. Because I feel yeah. like this is like if I have a migraine and can't read and I can at least like try listening to something. But yeah, that is the worst. Yeah, you're just laying there forlorn looking at your Kindle. <laughs> like I can't even focus. No, it's so sad. That is the saddest thing. God, we, we wish for all of you listeners never to feel so unwell that you cannot look at your Kindle or other reading device. I would just say we wish everybody health and happiness. Yes, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. I've got to say I touch my face a million times a day. What's wrong with me? Quit it. Just quit it. Wear a little rubber band around your wrist. I got to do something because it's, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. All right. All right, everybody. Stay healthy out there. Thanks for letting me be co-host this I week. I know. Kate, you are an amazing special guest. Thanks for pitch hitting. And next time when we do insomnia, you're definitely coming back because, God, you and I could. We're just going to record that one at 4 a.m. Sarah won't even know what's <laughs> happening. Yes, she can be like, we can record her snoring during it. We'll just be chatting happily at 4 a.m. That's real, you guys. It's just bananas. Okay, thanks everybody for listening to Faded Meets. When we are back next week, when Sarah's better, we'll be reading Devil's Bride by Stephanie Lawrence. And we hope that you all have a great week. Thanks, everyone. Hi, Sarah and Jen. Um, I have to say first that I am such a huge fan of your podcast. I have an hour-plus drive to work every day, and your podcast has kept me so entertained um, countless days. I just caught on to it this past summer, but I devoured the IAD series very quickly after that. Probably within, like, two months, um, I had read all the books in the series and listened to all the podcasts. Anyways, uh, to get to the point of this voicemail, my name is Rebecca, and I'm calling to tell you about one of the books that flooded me. So just to give you a little background, I live in Litchfield County in Connecticut. I just turned 30, and I've been reading romance off and on since I was about 13. I remember the first romance novel I ever read, and it was definitely a turning point for me. I was a eighth grader, so I was like 12 or 13. Um I didn't really get heavily into the genre until around the end of high school, early college, but I did, I do now have a book review blog, Rebecca Book Review, that features mostly romance reviews, and I'm pretty dedicated uh, overall to being an advocate for the genre. Uh, so the book I'm calling to tell you about is Now You See Her by Linda Howard. Uh, this is not nearly the first romance I read. I read this one around my senior year of high school, maybe early college. And my memory isn't quite as spectacular as Sarah's, so I can't remember exactly where I was when I read it, but I do remember how it made me feel. Uh, It made me feel very safe, and one of the reasons I remember it so much from the first time I read it is because it's made me feel the same way every other time I read it since then. Uh, It's continually stood out in my memory as a defining moment for me in what I look for now in a mate and what I look for in my romance novels. Um, There's one scene in particular that really stood out to me. The scene in the book is where the psychic painting sleepwalking heroine, and that is a mouthful, wakes up and her body temperature is very cold, like to levels of extreme hypothermia. So in order to help her, the hero literally has to strip down with her and warm her up with their shared body heat. And When I read that as a young woman, obviously there was some kind of, you know, sexual awakening going on, (laughs) but also I just felt so connected to how protective and caring the hero was in those moments and how um, 
how they defined it on the page and how Linda Howard like really made the emotions come alive. And it really stood out to me as a defining moment for why I wanted to read more romance. So anyways, that's one of the books that blooded me and I really love the podcast and I hope I get to be featured on one of the episodes and I love you guys so much. Thanks. Bye.